Well, this morning we are um, starting a, a new little mini-series um, called Becoming, where we're going to talk um, and explore together who is it that we are becoming as a people, as a church? Um, who and what are we becoming? We're going to be talking about uh, becoming followers, becoming loving, uh, becoming servants of all. And these are words, these, these words, follow, love, serve, that probably aren't new um, for many of us. Um, if you walk through the, the foyer in the, uh, the front of the church, you can't help but notice to see these words, follow, love, and serve. These are words that are um, repeated throughout uh, all four gospel accounts, words that come out of the mouth of Jesus, invitations um, to his followers to come to follow me, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love our enemies, uh, to, to love one another, and then to serve. The invitation from Jesus that, that his followers would, would step in his footsteps and become servants of all. That these are the invitations um, from Jesus that we see throughout Scripture. And so together as a people, this is who we aspire to be. We aspire to be people who follow Jesus, people who love the Lord and love the world around us, and people who really will take up that mantle to be the servant of all. And so this morning we're looking at um, what does it mean for us to become followers, to become followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look at um, a story in the gospel account of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there or on your device. We're going to look at uh, a story of two people who are presented with the opportunity to follow Jesus, an opportunity and an invitation to be his disciple. And we're going to see what they did, uh, what these two people did with this opportunity to follow him. And so as we um, turn to scripture this morning, let's, let's pray and invite the, the Lord to speak to us today, that we would hear him clearly. God, we, we love you and we are so thankful for your presence with us and your presence within us. God, we thank you for the way that you move in and through our lives. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together to um, to read your word and to, to know your shepherding hand upon our lives. And so, God, as we open up scripture together, we pray that you would be speaking to us. Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds uh, would be made alive to your word and to your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at uh, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, he, speaking of Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, 
Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I have to admit, when I, um, pretty much whenever I read this account of Mary and Martha, of these sisters, um, I sympathize with Martha. I sympathize with Martha because I feel she's pretty justified in her frustration. Right? Here she is. She's opened up her home um, to Jesus and his followers, and she is trying to get enough food together to feed all of these hungry guys. Right? So if you open up your home um, and you've, you've got a home full of people and they're expecting to eat, um, somebody has to do the work to make sure they're fed. Right? This, this sounds reasonable. Now, I come from a, a pretty um, large family. There's 12 kids in my family. And so when it came to mealtime, um, it was pretty much this scenario, like three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. Um, and I know it takes, it takes a decent amount of work uh, to feed 12 people. Uh, it takes a decent amount of work to make sure um, that they're fed. And this is in today's world where we've got grocery stores and bread that's already baked and we don't have to like go out and scavenge for food and then spend the whole day trying to bake the bread for people. So I, I feel for Martha. And just earlier in this chapter, in chapter 10, you'll see that um, Jesus had a lot more than 12 people that were following him around, right? There were 72 people that he sent out just earlier in this chapter uh, to go do ministry. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was the 12 disciples and Jesus at Martha's home. Maybe it was 72, right? It, it could have been a lot of people. And so I read this and I think, yeah, I mean, Martha is justified in being really frustrated that her sister Mary is just sitting there listening to Jesus talk while she's slaving away doing all of the work in the kitchen. The cultural expectations that were on Mary and Martha at the time uh, were that they as women would be the ones who would feed and provide for the men that were there in their home. And here we have Mary sitting in the men's part of the house while Martha is at work in the woman's part of the house and Martha really wants Mary to get back to her place helping her. Women weren't disciples, but here you have Mary described as sitting at the feet of Jesus. The same language that's used to describe Paul um, as he was a, a disciple of his teacher, uh, when you're reading through the, the account in Acts. The same language that describes a disciple. Here Mary is upending the cultural expectations that were upon her, and she dared to take a seat at the feet of Jesus as his follower. And then you've got Martha, still kind of stuck, in fulfilling the cultural expectations that were on her life. And, and in that, she was seeking out Jesus' help to try to get Mary to come back and be the kind of person that their culture was expecting them to be. 
her, Martha's cultural lens wouldn't allow her to see the amazing opportunity that was in front of her to sit at the feet of Jesus. She was so distracted by everything else that she needed to do or thought she needed to do that she was missing out on a once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity to be with Jesus, to sit with him, to know him, to hear him speak. In Martha's culture, she was successful if she was a good host. She was successful in life um, if she fulfilled the duties and responsibilities that the world around her expected from her. And sitting at Jesus' feet wouldn't have only been scandalous to the gender norms of the time. It would mean failing at one of the things that would have caused people to see her as being successful and valuable. Sitting down when people needed to be served, how lazy and selfish people would have viewed her as. Letting people go hungry so she could sit and be with Jesus, what a failure as a host her culture would have seen her as. And so she demands Jesus to turn Mary away and back to help her. And instead, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to pursue Martha and to invite her into the same kind of relationship that her sister Mary had discovered at Jesus' feet. And so Jesus speaks to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary was focused on Jesus and Martha was distracted by all of the other things in her life so distracted that she missed out on being with Jesus, distracted by all her work and all her service. I mean, when I picture Martha in this scene, um, I picture myself maybe in like Thanksgiving prep mode, right? We're kind of getting there as a society, like getting close to Thanksgiving, uh, where maybe you're gonna be hosting a lot of people in your home. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's the first time you've hosted a, a large group of people in your home for a while. And I think of um, the, the kind of the frantic prep work that can go into that. And when the meal is actually being served, here we are sitting around a table with our family and friends and loved ones, and we go around and as we're looking into their eyes, we're thinking, you know, these are the real gifts. Right? These people around me, my family and friends, you know, these are the people that I'm so thankful for and make life worth living. But the reality is that just a couple hours earlier, these same people that we're so thankful and grateful for were yelling at them, like, come on, people, why am I the only one working? Why am I the only one cleaning up this house and I didn't even make any of the mess? Right? Maybe... Maybe that's only me who does this to my family, right? Like I'm yelling and shouting at them, everyone, come on, get your acts together. And then we're sitting down to this nice, lovely meal. Um, and I'm so thankful for all these amazing people that I was just yelling at. 
Martha is so distracted by everything she's got to do that she's missing out on the gift that is in front of her. She was worried and distracted by her service. But the reality is that service can be an act of worship, right? Feeding Jesus, offering him the the food, the fruit of your labor. I mean, how much more worshipful could you get, right? The idea of being able to, to, to serve Jesus Christ. But the reality is that Martha's work and her effort was not worship. Because she was so distracted, she couldn't actually see the one that she had the opportunity to serve. Thomas Merton writes, unnatural, frantic, anxious work, work done under pressure of greed or fear or any other inordinate passion, cannot properly speaking be dedicated to God because God never wills such work directly. Martha had the opportunity to serve and worship the Lord, but her distractions and the franticness of her life kept her from actually being able to be with Jesus. And I wonder, like Martha, if we don't often miss out on the same opportunity. The opportunity to be with Jesus, to sit at his feet, to follow after him, because we're also distracted by so much. We're distracted by the things that we think we need and the things we think we need to do. We're distracted by our own cultural expectations that are placed on us. So distracted that that we don't sit with Jesus. Maybe it's distractions because of the frantic pace of life that we live in. A frantic pace of life that has us rushing around from one thing to the next. Running around at breakneck speeds with so much to do and so much to accomplish. So much noise and distraction around us. So much to focus our attention on that we miss out on focusing our attention on the one thing that really matters. Some of the distractions that we might have from the the cultural expectations in our own life um, could be the distractions of career and success. The distractions of needing to make enough money to buy the right home, to be able to retire and live the good life, the American ideal that we have. Frantic to get ahead and not fall behind our peers. Frantic not to get stuck in a dead-end job. Frantic to do all of the work we need to do so that we can advance in life. And it's not just career or financial success that we're running after so frantically. Oftentimes, it's, it's a sense of, of personal fulfillment that we're running after. And also for our families. We want our, our families to succeed and our children to succeed. And so we run around frantically trying to give our kids every opportunity we didn't have when we were young. Making sure they have every opportunity to thrive and grow. And so we overschedule not only our own lives, but the lives of our family and our kids making sure that they have all the right tutoring and music lessons and sports opportunities 
making sure that they're exposed to the world and culture, um, making sure that they have, as they get older, internships and all of the fun experiences uh, to make their life good, amazing vacations, making sure that we buy the home in the right neighborhood so our kids go to the right school so that hopefully one day they too can succeed in life. And so we keep our family going um, because of this, this all-consuming uh, need to succeed and, and desire that we live the best life that we can. And maybe this drive to succeed that we have within our own lives and drive for our families and friends to succeed, our relationships to succeed, might actually be the thing that's distracting us from following after the one who could actually fill that hunger and that desire that's within us, that hunger and desire uh, to live a good and meaningful life. Often we're distracted by this idea of what our legacy in the world is going to, to be, distracted by this, this sense that we need to leave our mark on the world. What are people going to remember us for? Have we built something of worth? Have we left something of value for the people around us? We can be distracted by the future, too distracted by, uh, by worry and fear and preparation for tomorrow that we miss out on all Jesus has for us today. I think of the... Um, the movie Greatest Showman, right, about P.T. Barnum. And you, if you guys have seen this, you remember that, that really haunting song, uh, Never Enough, right? And the, as, um, as this woman, this character Jenny Lind is, is singing this song, it's this picture of two people, of, of Jenny um, and P.T. Barnum, who have this drive to succeed, this drive to make something of their life. And as she's singing this song, especially the second time through, she's singing that, that she realizes it's, it's never enough. That her hands could hold the world and it would still never be enough. And I think that's the reality for, for the world around us and often for us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, that we feel that we've got hold everything. We've got to gain everything. But we still are left with this, this aching emptiness because like Martha, we've missed out on the one thing that's really necessary in all of our striving and our working and our pursuing. We've missed out on Jesus Christ sitting right in front of us, waiting for us to stop all that we're doing, oftentimes all that we're doing for him, so that we can simply be with him. We, as a church, can be really good at being distracted from Jesus by all the amazing things we're doing for him and for the world around us. Martha was doing something really good. She was serving people. She was providing for their needs. She was feeding the hungry. Just 
earlier in, in Luke's gospel account, Jesus was doing something pretty similar. He had a crowd of over 5,000 people who were hungry. And so he and his disciples did the work of serving hungry people. And so it's not that Jesus is against serving, right? As, as we said at the beginning of, of, of this message, Jesus' call to his followers is to serve, to follow in his footsteps and serve. And so Jesus isn't dismissing Martha because she's doing good things. No, instead, Jesus is shifting Martha's focus off of the work and on to him. Because it's only when our eyes are on Jesus, it's only as we actually live in a loving union, a loving relationship with Jesus, that any of the work that we do is going to actually be fruitful and worthwhile. Martha was busy trying to serve Jesus, and because of her busyness and the striving to serve, the striving to do something of worth and of value, she was stuck in the kitchen when Jesus was just in the next room over waiting to meet with her. Jesus talks about um, the vine and the branches and that it's only the branches that are, that are connected to the vine, abiding in the vine, that are actually going to produce fruit. And so often I think we can be like Martha, worried and distracted by so much. We're trying to produce some really good fruit for Jesus, but we're doing it the expense of abiding in the vine. Bethany Huang, in her book, Deepening the Soul for Justice, writes, when we seek justice without first and throughout seeking the God of justice, we risk passion without roots. And passion without roots cannot be sustained. Burnout is inevitable. And this is true, I think, of so many good things in life. We can seek and pursue after revival in the world around us. But if we're not first and throughout seeking the God of revival, we're going to burn out and there's not going to be any good and lasting fruit. We can be working and trying and pursuing after so many good things in the world around us. But if we're not first, foremost, and throughout pursuing the God who is the giver of all of those good gifts that we seek. If we're not first and foremost pursuing God, the king whose kingdom is going to bring about all of these good things that we long for in the world, we're going to miss out on the one thing that's actually necessary. We want to be a people who seek Jesus, who follow him closely, knowing that it's only in him that we're actually going to bear any fruit. But we so easily become like Martha, even though we know this, right? Even though we hear uh, Jesus speak about being that, that branch abiding in the vine, we so easily become distracted by all of our work for Jesus distracted from Jesus because we're working for him. 
And when this happens, I think we can end up being like Martha, feeling like there isn't enough time for all the commitments and responsibilities that we have, feeling of, of scarcity, like there's not enough and I don't have enough within me and I don't have the resources and the help that I need to do all that I need to do. Like Martha, we can end up resenting others as we're seeking to serve and love others. We can end up being overwhelmed with no joy or delight in our service. And what started out as a delight has ended up becoming an obligation. These are just a few of the signs that maybe our work for Jesus and our work to serve and to love others has actually gotten in the way of us following Jesus and us being in a loving union with him. Like Martha, we can be too distracted to notice the opportunity right in front of us to sit at Jesus' feet with Mary. And so Jesus says that there's only one thing that's necessary. I think of the parable that Jesus tells of a man who came across a treasure in a field, and he was so excited by discovering this treasure that he runs home, he gets together all that he has, he sells all of his possessions so that he can go and purchase the field and gain this amazing treasure. That we would be a people who would hear this invitation from Jesus, that there's only one thing that's necessary, and we'd pursue that one thing like it's that treasure in a field that we're willing to let go of everything else so that we can gain Jesus. Jesus said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things, all the other things that God himself knows that we need in our lives will be added. But first, we have to seek that one thing that's necessary, Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And I hope that like Mary, we discover that he really is worth it. He really is worth it to sit and to simply be with him, to hear his loving words spoken over us would be worth everything that we let go of so that we can pursue him wholeheartedly and single-mindedly. And I think that as we follow Jesus, we'll need to unlearn and relearn some things like Mary and Martha did. They had to unlearn some of their, their cultural expectations and relearn what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we follow after Jesus, I think we're going to need to learn different priorities and goals for our lives. That we wouldn't just blindly follow along with what the culture around us says makes for us successful and a good life. But instead, we would allow Jesus to reshape what the purpose of our lives is that we would learn and relearn a different, different definition of, of success. We'd learn a different pace of life, a pace of life that isn't frantic, running around, trying to do and be everything, but instead we would learn this pace, this pace of life that would be walking at the pace of God, that our life would be lived at the speed of God, 
And when you look throughout scripture, you see that God isn't often in a hurry to get his work done. That he seems to have a different sense of timing than the rest of us do. And God's okay at accommodating himself to work at a slow pace so that we can stay in step with him. The um, theologian, Japanese theologian Kasuke Kuyama describes this as um, the three-mile-an-hour God. God walking at the same pace that humanity can walk. That he's, he's accommodating himself to slow down, to work at our pace. But I think, ironically, what a lot of us end up doing is we try to outrun him. We're, we're so eager to try to please him with all the good things we're doing for him that we end up running way ahead of God, doing all the good things for him while he's still back here inviting us to slow down and walk at his pace, a pace that's not frantic, a pace that's not crippling, a pace that doesn't crush the life out of us, but instead learning like the disciples of Jesus as they walk along the road with him, learning a, a new pace of stopping and resting, a new pace of serving and loving, a new pace that, that isn't pursuing after the same uh, goals and ideals as the world around us. And I think that as we learn um, this new pace of life and this new rhythm of rest and work, that it's going to lead to some different fruits in our lives. Fruit like love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's going to lead to some new fruit of loving the world around us, new fruit of serving out of the overflow and not serving out of obligation. Fruit that's lasting and doesn't fade away. But also a fruit whose measure isn't always easily um, noticed here and now. A fruit that, that the world around us might not be able to see um, and we might not be able to see in our own lifetimes but a fruit nonetheless that will last. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I think that's, that's part of the, the upside-down way of following Jesus, is that while it might not look to the world around us like our lives are fruitful and successful, that it might look like we're dying, but in reality, it's that laying down of our lives that produces the real and lasting fruit. And so should we, as, as a people, as Faith Community Church, should we be a people who are, are contemplative, or should we be a people of action? Should we be a people who rest in Jesus, or a people who work and do for Jesus? Should we be a people who are deeply formed by Jesus or a people who are living, living missionally for him? Should we be a people of devotion and worship or a people of action and evangelism and good works? Should we be a people who are formed to look more like Jesus or be a people who are helping others be formed to look like him? Should we learn and grow or should we go and do?
and I agree with you, my answer would be yes. My answer would be yes. We should be a people of all of these things. The problem is that like Martha, we're going to miss out on the most important part of this equation if we're so focused on the action that we miss out on Jesus. But if instead we hear Jesus' invitation, this invitation to come and be with him, this invitation to, to see what's really necessary, then like Jesus' followers, I think the natural outflow is going to be that as we walk with Jesus, he is going to be teaching us his rhythm of work and rest, his rhythm of worship and action. That as we walk along the road with him, we will see the opportunities before us to be a people who follow him in laying down our lives on behalf of others. One thing was necessary for Martha. It was to become a follower of Jesus. To not just be someone who did good things, but someone who followed Jesus. And that out of that, her life was going to be transformed so that she, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would be able to continue those good things that she saw Jesus doing. And when we hear the invitation from Jesus to us this morning to let go of the distractions, the, the many things that worry and distract us, and instead to focus on the one thing that's necessary, the thing that can't be taken away, Jesus Christ is standing right before us. And his invitation is come and follow me. Come and follow me. Mary took this invitation and sat at Jesus' feet. The disciples heard this call, come and follow me, and they left their fishing nets and boats behind to follow after Jesus. For some of us, the busyness and noise of our lives has been drowning out this invitation. It's just been drowning out the voice of Jesus, inviting us, beckoning us to come, come be with me, come follow after me. And today, I think it would be Jesus' gift to us that we, this morning, would be able to stop and hear that beautiful invitation. To come follow me, sit with me, dine with me. In Revelation 3.20, we get um, these words of Jesus. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Martha was working so hard to set a table for Jesus that she almost missed out on this invitation from Jesus where he was the one saying, I've got a banquet spread for you. I have a table set for you. You're trying to provide for me, but I want to provide for you. And the provision that Jesus had for Martha was his very self. His body broken and his blood shed. Jesus has set a table before us, and the food that's laid out is himself. 
So as you came in this morning, um, you should have received the communion elements. If you, if you missed it somehow, if you want to raise your hand, um, maybe some of our greeters could, could hand some extra elements out to you. But as we take the, these simple elements of, of bread and the cup, in this, would we hear the invitation of Jesus Christ to come and sit at his table, a table that he's provided, where he wants to, to dine with us, to sit with us, to be with us. And before we, we receive communion, um, I'd like for us to, to, to pause this morning and, and to be able to confess before the Lord, confess our sins before him, and hear his gracious and loving invitation to come and be with him. And so if you would, if you're able, stand with me this morning. And up on the screen, would you uh, pray this prayer together with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Father God, as we pause here in your presence and confess our sins, acknowledge our shortcomings. Lord, we thank you that your promise to us is that you will forgive us. That your promise to us is that as far as the east is from the west, so far removed are our sins. Lord, we thank you for the, the beautiful invitation of Jesus Christ that as, as he stands at the door and knocks, that he's longing to sit with us. He's longing to, to, to dine with us. He's longing to live life with us. And God, we, we're sorry for the ways that we so often let other pursuits, even really good pursuits, keep us from actually being with you. And this morning, as we receive communion, as we receive your body and your blood, Lord, would it nourish us in a way this week that would cause us to, to have this, this hunger, cause us to have this hunger for you throughout our days and throughout our weeks, and that that hunger would, would cause us to constantly be drawn back to you, the one who is the source of all life. So we give you praise this morning and we thank you for the table that you have set before us. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. He broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup 
after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So this morning, church, you um, take this bread, and as we eat this together, would we know the very presence of Jesus Christ with us, inviting us to come and dine with him. So church, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. as you take the cup this is the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of all of our sins Jesus Christ as you have given all of yourself to us our response to you this morning is to lay all that we are at your give our lives to the one who has given his life for us. Lord, cause us to have a hunger and a desire, a passion to know you, a passion to experience you. Would we be a people who truly do abide in the vine and that out of that, Lord, that, that as a community, we would see such fruitfulness, fruit that, that would be nourishing to the world around us, that our lives lived out of the abundance and overflow of our relationship with you would be something that would cause the world around us to see your goodness and to come experience 